Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro. Thanks for tuning in. I've created a questionnaire to better understand you, the listener, and what it is that keeps you coming back to listen to the podcast. I want to know what's working for you, what you want more of, and what you want less of. Please take a few minutes to head over to bit.ly forward slash made visible podcast. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash made visible podcast to fill out the form. Your support is greatly appreciated. Now on to today's guest. Over the summer, I attended a writing workshop for individuals with chronic illness that was put on by the mighty here in New York City. We went around the room sharing our name, our illness, and what brought us to the workshop. When Anthony Piccioni spoke about his condition and how he was using the arts to share his experiences, I knew I wanted him on the podcast. So here we go. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, where you live, and what you do. Okay, so as you said, my name is Anthony Pagioni. I am an independent playwright. I also dabble in poetry and screenwriting and other stuff, but I primarily identify as a playwright. I'm originally from Connecticut. I now live in New York City, where I've been lucky enough to have had a bit of success in the indie theater scene here. I've had seven one-act plays produced so far, including one about bullying and teen suicide that won an award earlier this year and was published recently. I had another play that was produced this past summer that was nominated for an award. And this coming January, I have a full-length play that is a semi-autobiographical work that is about my struggles of living with social anxiety, episodes of depression, and Asperger's syndrome. So that'll be in January, and that'll be my first full-length play to be produced. So very excited about that, and I've been excited to have had as much success as I've had in the city, and yeah, that's basically who I am. Amazing, and how long have you been in the city for? I've been in New York for two years as of this month, so I moved September 2016, a few months after graduating from college in Connecticut. And you're here long term? Uh, yes. Yes. Hopefully I'm here long term anyway. You <laughs> you know how expensive it can be to live in New York. So Absolutely. So let's dig right into what we're here to talk about. When was it that you were diagnosed with anxiety disorder, mood disorder, and autism spectrum disorder? So I was first diagnosed with autism in June 1994. So I was a year and a half old. So I don't really remember it firsthand because I was a little kid, I was a toddler, but my mom tells me the story that I was diagnosed with autism in June 1994. The doctors told her at the time, she didn't believe it, but the doctors had told her that I'd be nonverbal for the rest of my life, that I'd likely have to have, that I wouldn't be able to function in society in a quote-unquote normal way and stuff like that, but... Eventually, I was able to become verbal. It started out when I was three years old, when I was reciting things from movies and TV shows that I had heard. I'm told that my first words when I was three years old were the entire opening monologue of Jeopardy, 
which I pretty much, <laughs> which I pretty much nailed, except for the fact that I accidentally referred to Alex Trebek as Alex Correct. But aside from that, <laughs> and there are other examples too from like Disney movies and stuff like that, and I don't know stuff my mom would watch that I would recite. And then eventually through speech therapy and occupational therapy that I had through the school system and before that preschool and stuff, I was eventually able to develop more conversational dialogue, obviously, because I'm having this conversation with you right now. But, and then later on, I was re-diagnosed when I was like nine or 10 years old with Asperger's syndrome, which I don't think is an official diagnosis anymore, but that is what they diagnosed me with at the time. And since then, they've been able to see, maybe you can be more verbal, maybe you can go on to college, which I did do, and have a pretty successful life. And as far as anxiety and the mood disorder, not otherwise specified, with the mood disorder, I was actually initially diagnosed, if I remember correctly, with bipolar disorder, and eventually they realized that I didn't quite meet the requirements for bipolar disorder, so then they changed it to mood disorder, not otherwise specified. And that and the anxiety disorder, I want to say I was diagnosed with around the time I was a teenager. Do you remember that diagnosis and what it was like? I honestly don't remember it firsthand because when I was a kid and teenager, my mom would handle a lot of those sort of things. And, you know, I, I honestly didn't really become that open about, like, my diagnoses, including my autism, until I was a bit older, until I was, like... I want to say a senior in high school because I used to be kind of embarrassed about it if I'm being totally honest because I was worried people would make fun of me and would tease me and stuff like that but then I had certain incidents in high school that were really traumatic where I was bullied pretty severely and I didn't really have that many close friends and stuff and so by that point I was like okay I'm gonna be teased no matter what and I'm not really fitting in no matter what, so I should just be open about this, and maybe I can raise awareness for the conditions I live with and for people who may be like me in a certain way and the struggles we deal with. And, you know, the only way we can really make things better, I would think, is to maybe talk about these things and show examples of people who are doing well in life who have these conditions. And I've just tried to be open about it since then, and try and have the most successful life as I can to maybe show people that, you know, whatever their dreams or goals are, them having Asperger's syndrome or them having anxiety or a mood disorder or maybe going through an episode of depression, that shouldn't be an obstacle for them. So I don't know if that answers your question entirely. No, it's great. I, I think it can be really challenging for people to come to that time where they go, okay, I'm ready to share. I'm willing to tell people what's going on with me. Do you have any recollection of what that first moment was in telling somebody what you were going through when you decided, okay, I'm open. I'm willing to share about this. Clearly the way that I'm doing things right now aren't working. Yeah, with the Asperger's syndrome, I do. There was a Facebook post around the time toward the end of my senior year in high school I forget his name. I wish I remembered his name, but it was like, it was actually a contestant I saw on American Idol. This was in 2011. So someone can Google it. If they're listening to me, they'll find out who it is themselves. And I don't remember the name. I'm sorry to whoever it is out there. If you're listening right now, we're sorry. Yeah, but 
um, they were open about their Asperger's syndrome. And I just wrote a quick post. I forget exactly the wording of it that I said I would be voting for them, even though I didn't really watch American Idol all that much at that point. I would vote for them in the little phone thingy, um, the phone poll, I should say. And because, and I said, like, because I myself have Asperger's syndrome and I want to show people that people can do things, people can achieve their goals and their dreams and have be the best possible version of themselves that they can and not let that get in the way. And that's, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that's basically what I said. And I was kind of nervous at first about it. And, but then I saw like it, that post got a really good response from people I knew, people who I was friends with. And I was like, Okay. What kind of response? Oh, it was just probably the most likes I've gotten on a Facebook post in a while up at that point. And then a few nice comments. And then gradually in the years I got closer to college, I started being even more open about it. And I got similar responses. I started being open with friends I was making during my freshman year of college. And they were very supportive of me. And they, you know, were... I would say as accepting of me as they would be of anyone else in their group of friends. So at that point, I've just been like, fuck it. I might as well just say, I might as well just be honest about who I am. And maybe then I can break down certain stereotypes that might exist around the autism spectrum because there are a lot of stereotypes still. Like there's still people out there, which really bugs me, who still associate being autistic with not being intelligent, which is absolutely not true because there are lots of people who are very intelligent. There are people who are more or smarter than I am and can do more than me who are also on the spectrum. So that's really something that bugs me a lot. And it's still something that I think a lot of people think. I think it's better than I was when, than it was when I was first born, when I was first diagnosed, when people would associate being on the autism spectrum with being nonverbal and stuff like that. And, you know, there are some people out there who are like that, but I just want to show people that, like, being on the autism spectrum, someone like me might read social cues differently, might be socially awkward, visibly. Actually, some people don't say I'm always socially awkward, which is kind of a good sign, I would think. Maybe I'm just getting better at that. I don't know. But I'd like to think... Yeah, I mean, I just want to show people that we might have troubles in life, but we can get better. And it's a big reason why I've been writing about this in certain articles I've written. I've been writing more stuff on the Mighty in the thought section, and I want to submit actual articles to. I also write for a theater website called Onstage Blog, which I've written articles about being on the autism spectrum and in the theater community for that. And also, obviously, for my playwriting. So... We'll be sure to link that in the show notes for the podcast so people can check them out. When you said that you're getting better or you think you're getting better at handling things like social anxiety and, you know, socially awkward, are there certain things that you are doing or being more intentional that are helping you become more comfortable? Yeah, so um, a few years ago, like the summer before my last year of college, I was realizing that it was kind of hard for me that like I wasn't making as much of an effort as I could have been to try and be not necessarily more outgoing, but more comfortable in social settings. And so I started after resisting for a while, going to the free counseling at my college campus. And I now go to therapy here in New York still. Um, 
because I wanted to try and maybe talk about with the person who I was being with at the time why I was feeling that way and maybe what I can do about it. And I started doing that. I also started doing more activities during my last year of college to try and make more friends. I did volunteer work on the campus in addition to being even more active than I had in the theater program because even though I was a theater major, I wasn't as active, believe it or not, in the theater department's productions as I other people would be. I only acted in two shows and I did a few like backstage stuff. Part of that is because they didn't really have much for playwrights at the time aside from like a new play reading series that they did. So like I'm still trying to find new ways to get better at that. But the amazing thing about that is that you're still putting yourself in those situations. You didn't have to attend the workshop that we met at, but you chose to go there. So what brings you into those situations? Well, because I just figure, like, it's not going to get better unless I try. I mean, that's the simplest way I can describe it. If I were to just sit around in my apartment and do nothing all day, it's pretty much a guarantee that, like, any sort of social anxiety problems I have aren't going to go away ever. You know what I mean? But if I go out there and if I talk in a group in situations where you have to talk, then, you know, you're kind of forced into that. And to be honest, I kind of like doing certain structured things like the workshop at the Mighty, for example, is a good example because that was sort of a place where it was sort of structured talk and they gave you an idea of what to say. And that sort of helped me a bit. But yeah, I mean, I just, I try and do stuff like that through like meetup groups too, including that the Mighty Writing Workshop, because those are certain events that you can go to that are already structured around themes and topics that are of interest to you and you know hopefully if you force yourself to go to those things maybe it'll go from there it doesn't always work I don't think in terms of me overcoming social anxiety but sometimes it does and I figure any event where I can try and be more open and outgoing and where I feel like I am doing that I feel like is a success for me so I'm taking it one day at a time sort of I love that And I think that something like the event that we met at is one of those times where you know that you're going in with other people who have other conditions that may be able to relate to what it is that you're going through. So it wasn't just this open-ended thing. Like you said, it had structure, but it also had people that, you know, really could understand what you're going through or similar experiences. Definitely. What are some of the stigmas or stereotypes about anxiety or autism that you encounter in your life currently? Uh, I mean, I just said with the autism, I think a lot of people associate it. I don't want to say a lot of people, but like certain people still associate it with not being smart, I guess. For example, like when I was in college, I had a roommate who I was close friends with at the time. I feel like the beginning of our falling out was a brief moment where he said something along the lines of being autistic was the same as being dumb. And I tried to explain to him, no, it's not. But he wouldn't listen and said, yes, it is the same thing. I actually don't even know if he knew I had autism. Like, I don't know if he had seen me post about that on Facebook and stuff, because that was how I was most open about it at the time. But, and so, like, that's just one example. But there are other people who I've noticed, too, who are still like that. Another stereotype is, which I hear a lot, is that people with autism don't have empathy. And that really, really pisses me off because 
I care about my family. I care about close friends. I care about society in general. Like, I care very much about different issues going on in the world. I would think someone who has no empathy wouldn't think that way. And so that's another stereotype. It's harder for me with stereotypes to do with anxiety because I actually don't know if I'm the best example of someone. Like, I feel like I might be more stereotypical, to be honest, in terms of the social anxiety because I do get very nervous. I do get very introverted when I'm out with strangers or people I don't know at big events. Once I get to know someone and I'm comfortable with them, they can never get me to shut up. But then later on, (laughs) but like at first, I'm basically the textbook definition of social anxiety. So like, it's very hard for me still with that. I feel like if there's anything I'm still trying to overcome in my life now, it's the anxiety rather than being on the autism spectrum. Although I might have social anxiety for all I know, in part, not just because of my anxiety disorder, but because I'm on the spectrum, because it doesn't help that I can't read certain social cues and stuff like that. Like, I know that much about my autism diagnosis, at least. So. Is there anything that you have to do or that you find helpful to prepare yourself for getting into situations like that, group settings? I mean, it helps when I have at least one other person there with me. If I see someone there I know at an event, I will try and gravitate toward that person. I wish I had a better answer to that, but like, I might try and initiate a conversation with people at certain points, but I still feel very awkward if I see like a group of people that I don't know and like they're talking about something that I would find interesting. So if they're talking about a movie that I just seen that I really liked, I'd still feel awkward about joining in a conversation like that because they might be like, who the fuck is this guy and why is he talking to us? I still get very nervous about that because that's how people sort of approached me when I was in high school, for example. And I'm worried about that happening again as an adult. So It's interesting because when we went around, as I said in my intro about you, when we went around and you told a bit of your story, I was so quick to be like, oh, him, he needs to be on the podcast. (laughs) You were so well-spoken and it was so clear you were passionate about the work that you do. So it's interesting how you feel you come off. And, you know, obviously in my situation, I'm going, oh, I need him. So something clicked there. Something worked. I mean, with that case, I had a bit of time to think about what I wanted to say. It helps. Like, I always say I'm a much better writer than I am a speaker because I have more time to collect my thoughts and organize them with that. But if it's a conversation, like, I don't always have as much time to think about what I want to say or what I'm going to say. But in certain cases where I do have time to think about what I want to say, and that's a good example right there, when I introduce myself, then it's easier for me. You were given prompts. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely helps. And I shouldn't need prompts to be, like, good socially in a social setting, but it does help. Yeah, and it sounds like you're doing what you can to put yourself into these situations with or without a friend there, with or without some level of comfort, to just get yourself into these different scenarios and seeing what sticks and what works and what feels good. And sometimes it doesn't feel good, yeah. but it's a good experiment to a certain extent. Yeah. And I try to, because, you know, I actually don't have out of that many close friends who I'm still in touch with at this point in my life. So I'm trying to make new close friends through all the activities I do in New York. So, you That's know, great. 
that's a big reason why, if I'm being honest, why I'm doing what I do as far as that sort of thing goes. Yeah. So let's talk a bit more about your writing. What inspired you to write your show that's coming out, A Therapy Session with Myself? So A Therapy Session with Myself, as I said, is a semi-autobiographical play about the mental health problems I deal with. Um, The character based on me is right about to go into his senior year of college. He's in his apartment in the summer, and he gets a visit from a human incarnation of half of his inner consciousness, and the character is called, quote-unquote, you. So it's a conversation between this character and himself. And they're sort of having a back and forth over how they got into a certain situation where they're very socially anxious and lonely and miserable about life. And the story is told through flashbacks, which are inspired by events from my first year of high school all the way to my last year of college. And yeah, it covers certain traumatic bullying incidents. It covers an on-again, off-again relationship I was in when I was in college. It covers how I first got into theater and creative writing. Um, It talks about the friendships I did have and how I've struggled to sustain or make friendships. It struggles with how I've thought more than once about wanting to commit suicide. Yeah, and so... I just wanted to try and tell a story that reflected how I was feeling during those years of my life to try and show people something that if they're maybe struggling with it themselves, maybe they can relate to it. And if they're not struggling with issues like that, then maybe they can have a better understanding of what it's like to live with the conditions I've lived with. In either case, I want to leave them with a sense of hope toward the end, which I don't want to give things away, but I like to think I do that with this play. That's awesome. What was that writing process like for you? Because clearly it's from your own life. What was it like going back into those high school and college moments for you? Both emotional and kind of chaotic. Cause like it's a non-chronological order. So it's 77. The first draft was 77 scenes. Now it's like 40 something scenes. There's very short scenes, but still it's that much. And the writing of the content itself, it was hard because, you know, there's a scene in there that depicts me or the character based on me getting beaten with a belt by bullies. It depicts sort of the struggles I've had with, like, past friends and how I maybe had falling outs with them. It depicts how miserable I was even when I was in college, and I like to think that was when I was starting to get better in college, but there was, even then, I was, like, going to bed each night, feeling lonely and feeling really, really depressed, and I kind of had to dive deep into my own mind, because the whole point of the play is that it's this character based on me having a fight, not, like, a literal fight, well, a conversation between the character based on me and himself. So yeah, he's having a conversation with himself and because the conversation goes on for so long, and I don't want to keep repeating myself because that's a big flaw with many first time playwrights. They tend to repeat the same things over and over again, just to make it longer. Kind of like how, like if you're trying to just get through like a class assignment, for example, and I don't want to do that with my plays. And so I have to dive deep in order to 
get more substance into the play. And so I really had to think hard about not just what I've been through, but why I felt this way and why maybe I responded to certain situations. And it's forced me to be more objective, I think, about what I've been through than I've ever been before in my life. I feel like all writing sort of does that for me, but that's play especially, I think, did that. It makes me think about the writing group that I've been a part of for the last few years, where my teacher always reminds us not to just write the chronological order of something happening, that that can get really boring and no one really wants to hear you walked out of your apartment and then you walked down the street and then you crossed at the light. Like that's not exciting to anyone. So it's interesting to talk about the importance of the why and how things went down not just the order of things that were taking place. Uh, That's so valuable. Yeah, I wanted to feel more like a stream of consciousness more than a a traditional story with a beginning, middle, and end. Absolutely. So do you find that that writing is therapeutic for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, going back to like my freshman year of high school, if not before then, writing in general has always been a form of therapy for me. It wasn't really until I got to college that I started taking playwriting seriously, but like you go back to high school and see some poetry that I wrote. At the time it was really bad poetry, I'm not gonna lie, in high school. But that's what I yeah, writing Yeah. But you know, like writing has always been a good form of catharsis, I think. I think it is for a lot of people because I get to open up and pour out all of what I'm thinking and feeling, mostly feeling, usually in just a few minutes, like without really having to think too much about it. But at the same time, because I'm right about it, in a lot of cases, I don't have to really speak about it too much. And this is weird for me to say, like as someone who is in theater, and I used to be an actor before I was a playwright too, in certain cases, but it's hard for me to speak in front of big audiences I still get nervous about that a lot. And so I feel like writing helps me open up about what I'm going through and still be my natural self, which is usually pretty introverted unless it's around people who I'm close with. Right. Understandable. In having anxiety, how do you feel about putting your writing out there or your plays out there? At first I was nervous. I mean, I feel like anyone in their right mind would be nervous about it, but the more I do it, the easier it gets. And plus, I feel like if I don't put writing like this out there, then who is going to? Because I feel like there aren't that many perspectives out there in mainstream art and mainstream pop culture that depict someone who is on the autism spectrum from the perspective of someone who is on the autism spectrum. So, like, I saw a play on Broadway called The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Amazing. It was amazing. I love that play. But at the same time, I kind of wish there were other plays out there that were written from the perspective of someone who actually is on the spectrum. Just like you would want to hear from the perspective of someone who, let's say, maybe has uh, anxiety or a mood disorder or something like that. Like, I think it's just as important to hear from someone who is on the autism spectrum. And so that's another reason why I wrote this play, because even though I think 
issues of mental health and also autism awareness are starting to get more attention and also more understanding. I don't feel like we'll fully be there until we hear from more people who actually have dealt with these issues. And I think especially with autism and Asperger's syndrome, we don't see enough of that. Certainly not in the arts. Is there anything that you have read or seen that you felt you could really relate to? In terms of being specifically on the autism spectrum, you mean? Or just anything related to your mental health and your life that you read and went like, wow, this person, this person gets it. Or this person experiences it like I do. The answer can be no. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I could nitpick certain things about, like, people who maybe have been depressed or suicidal or maybe were bullied when they were younger or not. Like, but, like, no, I mean, I want to come off as, like, I've had a totally unique experience. I don't know if I have or not, but, like, I haven't seen that many other examples of people who dealt with exactly the type of situation I've had to deal with. So, and you know, like, that's not to say there aren't people out there who maybe have dealt with worse than me. I'm not saying that there aren't people like that, but like, I, I've had a hard time trying to find people who have been through the same types of experiences that I have as someone on the spectrum and with all the different conditions I've had and all the different life experiences I've had on top of all that which is kind of a messy and complicated situation in and of itself, my life experience. And so, yeah, I mean, again, that's a big reason why I wanted to write this story, to try and put out the stuff that I myself would want to see out there. I think that there's no two people that are exactly the same, obviously. No, of course not. But, like, still, like, I've had a hard time finding enough of a good comparison. Yeah, I think that that's great that you then decided to take the initiative to come up with your own content and share your own experience because there are probably people out there that can really relate to it and or for the reason that I started this podcast is get people's stories out there that you wouldn't even think to know what people are dealing with walking down the street and having an understanding of what it is that they're dealing with. Definitely. I hope it does that. So with the plays that you've put out previously, what kind of response have you gotten to those? You know, different plays get better responses than others. But recently, earlier this year, I did another play. It's a shorter play called What I Left Behind. And that also dealt with mental health issues. It specifically dealt with bullying and teen suicide. It's about a teenager who actually does kill herself and um, deals with, like, the response of people she went to school with of her family and stuff and that got very good reviews it won the award for best short play from the festival it was in and it was actually recently published so i can actually send you the link for it later on if you'd like to include in the show notes if you want yes, but please. we would love that yeah i didn't know it was going to be published by the time we did this interview but it is so but yeah that's one that got a really good response there's another play i wrote that isn't as related to mental health that I was nominated for an award for. And the award ceremony is actually tomorrow. We'll know for certain whether I won anything or not by the time this airs, probably. So, yeah, thank you. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just very fortunate and very lucky, very, very lucky to be in a place in life now where I can do the creative projects that I've wanted to do for a while now and also maybe use that to raise awareness for 
the issues and the causes I care most about. So I'm trying the best I can to do that exactly. And there's only so much an artist can do. I don't know if artists can necessarily quote unquote change the world necessarily, which is what some people say, but I'd like to think we can make at least small differences in it and maybe start conversations between the people who see it. And that's where everything begins with the conversation. Absolutely. I love your attitude towards all of this. So thinking ahead into your career, do you think that the topic of your current show are things that you'll continue to write about and explore? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to keep exploring the topic that this upcoming play is dealing with. And, you know, I'm hopefully there's going to be another production of it at some point after the one in January. I'm hoping to present it at another venue in the spring next year. And yeah, I'm writing another full length play too. As of right now, I'm writing shorter plays. I want to explore screenwriting even more than I have been. Maybe a film adaptation of this play that I have coming up in January is one idea I've had. And so, and yeah, I'm going to hopefully also be writing articles and doing stuff like that to raise awareness. And yeah, as long as I can keep doing stuff that I'm as proud of. of as I am of this play that's coming up, then I think I'll be okay. What's one thing that you'd like people to take away who do not have the experience that you do with mental health or may not be surrounded by people who have issues with mental health that you want them to know about what it is that people who have different conditions are dealing with? That it's a lot more complicated than people might think. I think if there's anything people will notice about my life story, or rather this character's life story, if they come see my play, is that it's a very messy and complicated situation. And like that, I guess that we're not bad people. I think that's another stereotype I forgot to mention about people on the autism spectrum, because after like the Sandy Hook shooting, for example, people saw that the the guy who did that was apparently someone who had Asperger's syndrome. And I think people look at people with mental health problems as being like a danger to society and stuff. We just want to be accepted for who we are. We just want someone, this is going to sound weird to say, but we want to be loved. I think everyone wants to be loved, whether they say so or not. And, you know, I I don't want to say that I have nobody who loves me, like my mom and the rest of my family will be listening to this and be like, wait, I love you. But like, we all want to be loved and we want people to care about us and I just think it'd be nice to have more compassion toward people who are dealing with these conditions. I don't know if we have that right now. I think that's a really good point. And I think that everyone can relate to wanting to be loved and wanting to be accepted for who you are, no matter what or what you're not dealing with. I will definitely be at your show in January when it comes out. And I hope that we can get a group of people listening to the podcast to come and attend it because I know a lot of people will be interested in seeing this after hearing your story here. I'd love that. Yeah. Where can people find you and learn more about a therapy session with myself? So my website is www.anthonyjpiccioni.com. Piccioni is spelled P-I-C-C-I-O-N-E, by the way, as, as they'll probably read in the website anyway, but I'll say it anyway. Yep. I just recently updated my website so that there'll be a button once you go to the homepage where you can click on a therapy session with myself and you can read all about the play. I'm hoping two months 
before the show opens, sometime in November, we'll have a ticket link where people can buy tickets in advance. So check back sometime in November and see about pre-ordering tickets. And hopefully we'll have casting announcements by then, stuff like that too. And yeah, I hope people come see it and I hope that it maybe starts a conversation to me, gets people to think about these topics from maybe a slightly different perspective than they had previously. We'll see. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me, Anthony. Thank you so much for having me. And and thank you for doing this podcast because we need more programs like this out there that not just raise awareness for people living with invisible invisible illnesses, but also tell the specific stories of the people who live with them. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com. Follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.